Welcome to the Get Emergent podcast. Today, we're continuing our new series called Driving Leadership, which is aimed at demystifying leadership by having real conversations with leaders. You'll witness conversations with leaders from all walks of life and learn about what drives them to lead, their development stories, and about some current challenges they may be facing. I'm Bill Berthel, and joining me today is Dr. Johanna Rogers. Dr. Rogers, welcome. Thank you, Bill. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so excited uh, you're joining us today. Uh, and congratulations on your recent promotion, part of the management team at Center State CEO. That's, mm-hmm. that's awesome. That's awesome. So your title, Vice President for Racial Equity and Social Impact. Yes. Mm-hmm. Can't wait to learn more about that. And I know our listeners will really want to understand what your role is and how you're serving the Syracuse community in that space. But before we get there, you know, the theme of our conversation is really about you and your motivation and your drive to lead. Why? Why do you want to lead? What is it for you? That's a great question. I've been thinking about it over the last couple of weeks, and I, I don't know that I want to lead, right? I think yeah, that's yeah, yeah. the irony of the question. I think um, leadership sometimes is something you're called to do, and sometimes it's a calling that you may not want to answer. You know, like sometimes you pick up the phone or you see someone on your phone call and you're like, oh, I really don't want to answer, but you know you have to. Some yeah. days it feels like that, to be honest, Bill. I'm not. <laughs> it's one of those calls that you just got to take whether you really want to or not. And I think for me, there's a saying that my grandparents and my mother and my family have kind of instilled in me and it's to whom much is giving much is expected mm. and i know that in my life i've been granted a lot of opportunities but opportunities that have come based off of the sacrifice of many that have come before me um many sacrifices my parents made sacrifices my grandparents made sacrifices that sometimes were forced, right? They didn't have the option sure. to choose. And so um, I recently visited my grandmother in South Carolina and, you know, I, I talked to her a lot about, you know, who she wanted to be or what she wanted to become. And she wanted to be a nurse. And I was like, really? <laughs> <laughs> but that wasn't an option for her for a number of reasons. And so she worked in a bra making shop in the Bronx for much of her life. And when she got married to my grandfather, after his business sort of kind of took off, she was finally able to um, have the option to not work, but stay home with my aunt and uncles. And I talked to her about her story and I was listening to it. I recorded some of it and I was listening to some of it this morning in preparation for our conversation. And when I think about what she or a number of my other grandparents went through to become who they were, it provided a foundation or opportunity for me to do some things in my life that has put me in a position to be a voice, has put me in a position to be in rooms that many other folks that look like me are not in. And so when I think about leadership in that way, it is Carter G. Woodson that talks about servant leadership yeah. and the importance of servant leadership as a way to be 
consistently representing or a part of a community that isn't often included, but doing things on behalf of that community to the best of your ability in order to help move it forward. And Carter G. Woodson, his book is called The Miseducation of the Negro. And I think that in my journey to where I am today has always stuck with me because it was what I've seen my parents or my grandparents do in the community that I come from. They were, they had the ability to give back or to be a part of certain things that helped to create community. Yeah, and yeah. so my thoughts on what it takes to be um, a leader is to be in the position or the spaces that I'm in, but be representative as best and authentically as I can be the community that I come from and to represent, whether I want to or not, as many different views about that community as possible as I navigate my own life. And that happens, you know, whether I'm at Center State CEO or in the theater and performing, I guess, as I think about the areas in which I guess I'm being considered a leader. <laughs> Absolutely. Those are some of the things that I think about when I think about this role of leadership or this position in which it's, it's deemed leadership. I don't know that I spend much time thinking about it in that way. I'm just like, there's work to be done. <laughs> there's work to be done. There's some things we got to change. There's some shaking up that needs to happen. And okay, I'm just going to jump in. And, and, and do it. That's a beautiful story. And what I hear in that is as you rise to that occasion, you have this opportunity to really honor those that came before you, your family, those sacrifices, allowing the space that you get to operate in as well. A real honoring of that. That's, that's really beautiful. Take us a little bit on your path before we talk about the work you're doing currently, which is so vitally important in our community. Take us a little bit on your growth and development path in your education, in your leadership, in, in your life experiences that has you to this current day? What has gotten me here? I think my mother's tenacity and push and drive mm. <laughs> has been the one consistent force. She's such a force. She's such a, a I think force is the only word for it. Uh, many folks in Syracuse have gotten to know her. Many folks think she lives here, but she doesn't because she's here so often. She's been um, a, a huge cheerleader. And I think what's really, when I think about what's gotten me here, she wouldn't let me stay home and she wouldn't let me come back home. <laughs> let me just say that. She was pretty animate once we got into high school that we were not going to attend college in New Jersey. That's where I'm from originally. And that this is my brother and I. She wasn't going to let us attend college in New Jersey and we couldn't come back home. That was like, that was it. She's like, once you're gone, like you're gone. And uh, life got really tough for me as I was trying to finish my PhD. And I was really like, okay, mom, like it's hard. <laughs> it's really, really hard. And I think I just need to come home and I'll find a job and I'll finish writing. And she was like, no. And I was like, oh, what do you mean? <laughs> like I need to come home and you know at this point I'm like early 30s I'm like you know I'm not trying to come home because I think it's a good idea or like whatever but the stuff that I'm doing it's really hard and it's wearing me down and yes, she's yes. like 
nope, sorry, you gotta figure it out. And I was just like, what? Mom, that is so not what you're supposed to say. That's not, that's not how this is supposed to work. I'm the baby girl, like I'm calling right, home, right. crying, and she's like, you gotta figure it out. And I was like, oh my God, she's so tough. Tough love? Like that tough love thing. I don't know yeah. where it comes from. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But she um, saw you out in the world. Is that it? Tough love I and she guess, sees you out in the world? I don't know what she sees, but I was like, I need to come home. <laughs> and she was like, no. And, but that forced me to find another solution that brought me to Syracuse, right? Yeah, yes, yes. And I could say it was my academics and whatever, but I was trying to get home. And an option that made the most sense was to, um, I had a partner here at the time that I was working on a business venture with. And I got a job and I've told this story in many other realms, so I don't want to be redundant, but I came here, I was teaching Spanish and dance at Roberts Elementary for the Say Yes program. And then I got hired at Southwest Community Center and I spent some time there and then I've come to Center State. And in the midst of that, I finished writing a dissertation, you know, mm -hmm. my son through uh, middle school. And this has just been a space of growth for me in a very real, real way. And so I say all that to say that it's been my mother, when I really think about it, that has been the annoyingly loyal <laughs> pusher mm -hmm. in my life when I wanted to get really, really comfortable and like settle and complain about how unfair life has been, that she's kind of like shaking me awake to be like, we didn't get put here to complain. And it's pushed and motivated me to do some things I would never imagine doing ever, ever in a million years, like a television show on PBS. Right, right. I mean, I did imagine that. I did imagine that. Let me be clear. Like, I, I knew I wanted to do something like that. And it was something as a young kid, I worked on performing and dancing and telling stories and all of that. And my mother kept me involved with the arts enough to make it such a core of who I am. But she was like, you'll figure out a way to do it, but you're gonna finish school and know you're not moving to New York to be an actress. <laughs> like, figure it out. There was a lot of no's in there, Bill. Yeah, um, yeah. And I just had to find all other ways to make it work. And so when I think about that, performing with the Harriet Tubman troupe and, and, and turning my love of performance and theater back to the stage in my free time here, all those themes have been a theme throughout my life. I've been performing forever. My mom has been a consistent force along with the rest of my family and pushing me to do some amazing things. And I think when you ask what has been the key parts of my journeys, it's been them, I could say something like amazing teachers along the way, which is true also. But in this moment and where I am, my family has been a huge, huge part of me getting to where I am today. Well, we're grateful for that because uh, we're really grateful that you're in our community and the important work you're doing through Center State CEO. Tell us a little bit about that current work. You're leading the new racial equity and social impact portfolio. Tell us, yes. tell us what that is and the impact you're making. Center State CEO is like this amazing organization that I've never imagined in a million years that I would be a part of. 
number one, because, you know, my background isn't necessarily in economic development. You know, I have my PhD, so policy and advocacy uh, work is part of what I've been trained to do, but it was in the education realm, I guess. And so right. finding yes. myself in this great group of colleagues and leaders and thoughtful supporters in so many ways, it's kind of been like this amazing blessing that has come out of nowhere, for sure. Because I came in and I immediately connected with Dominic Robinson and the work that the economic inclusion team was doing. I worked alongside him, helped revamp the team. But then over the last probably year or so, I was thinking, you know, I'm called to do more. I'm called to do more. And I'm thinking about, you know, what that is, what that is. Is it here? Is it somewhere else? And then the last eight months, nine months kind of unfolded. And, you know, our country came into this moment that, you know, I really couldn't imagine with COVID, with the Black Lives Matter movement, with just social unrest, just everything that was happening. And I knew one of the things that was missing from the work that we was doing was a hardcore focus on racial equity and how we could help those that were a part of our organization out in the community think about from a business standpoint think about driving home impactful strategies and initiatives that would decrease the gaps hopefully eliminate gaps in what was really impacting folks of color in in this community through doing more in workplaces Mm -hmm. across the business landscape in Syracuse and Central New York. And so Rob Simpson and my colleagues there have given me an opportunity to think about how to help more corporate entities think about diversity, equity, and inclusion through a race and equity lens, right? Doing uh, organizational climate assessments, doing racial dialogue series, having broad company conversations about race and equity and how to build inclusive environments, taking leaders through activities and exercises that would help them become more um, critical thinkers around what creating a racially inclusive workspace, what that looks like. And that is work that many people haven't necessarily had the opportunity to dive into, right? And so at a moment where race and equity is at the crooks of every conversation um, that we're having at this moment, even for folks that want to do something, where do we begin? How do we get started? What is it that we should do, right? As a country, as a community, we haven't had open conversations about necessarily race and equity in a way that enhances and gives people the skills to think about how to challenge the status quo, right? How to interrupt how to interrupt the systems that have reproduced for generations inequities, right, for folks of color. And so in the midst of this social movement where the young people are taken to the streets and, you know, hard conversations are happening and we're seeing what's happening with policing in our community, how do we get the business leaders to be leaders in this work? in this space and do some things that could radically change the future. When we think about diversifying leadership within our community, when we think about 
How do you foster more practices and policies to make your workspace one in which all people prosper and thrive? We build leadership pipelines. How do we do that work? I am working with our team internally to think about how that happens at Center State, but also externally to think about how companies around us, right? And what imagine what that could mean for this community, right? When you look at Syracuse, a city that's 40, Six percent, I believe, folks of color, right? Mm -hmm. what, what, you know, how can that be? And when you look at leadership, it's so disproportionately represented. Absolutely. So once you get these leaders to the table, what's the discussion like? What are the conversations that are occurring in our community now that you're leading, <laughs> you're facilitating, you're leading, you're educating? I'm leading. When you have these conversations, one of the things that I notice is that people for the most part, mm -hmm. have not spent a whole lot of time talking about racial realities and yeah. what it means to be born a person of color and what it means to be born with white skin. Mm -hmm. And when we first start the conversation is like, you gotta understand, you gotta be able to be willing to sit back and think about another. You just have to, right? And how you form your opinion about what other people look like and how what they look like or how their looks, their phenotypic makeup, their skin color plays a part in every aspect of what it is they're going to be asked to navigate from the time they leave probably daycare <laughs> into the school system to the sure. time they retire and no longer have to be, you know, a part of the workforce, right? Like from schooling to work, you know, everything, how race plays a part in that and that's where we begin the conversations and that leads to folks going i had no idea i mean i thought i knew I right, thought right, I knew, right but i had no idea i hadn't mm -hmm. thought about it to this degree you're talking and about a deeper level of awareness and consciousness a deeper right. level of awareness or, or consciousness yes rob and i are challenging folks to really personally reflect because it, Yes. Where the personal reflection happens is where you can more authentically and more intentionally show up in the workplace and think about the professional actions you can take. Absolutely. And that's what we are gearing up to help folks do. And so this isn't your typical diversity and equity and inclusion kind of service or experience. It's one that's really going to force you to take this uncomfortable journey to understanding better your own awareness around race and equity and think about how now that you're really reflecting on yourself, what is it that you need to do to get more educated, to get more support and involved? If we as a country haven't, from the time we have kids go into school systems, created a space to talk about race. Absolutely. Intentionally. Right? Intentionally. That, that in, an intentional space. Intentionally. Yeah. You know, it's so uncomfortable for white folks to then sit at the table and go, what does this mean? Right? But imagine if we had started in kindergarten right. or to just talk about our histories and how they were different to just, and imagine what that would mean as they've grown, right? The skills that you've developed as you've grown, you'll begin to think about the disparities how a race and gender intersect, what the experience looks like for race, gender, and religious beliefs or sexual orientation, you'll be a more 
well-rounded person in the sense that she'll be able to consider the other, Absolutely. right? Your lens isn't so monolithic. And part of what we're doing now, as you can imagine, is trying to work with adults to do that. When we know, you know, we formed our habits and our views and we've gotten comfortable in our lives. Yes. And so we're shaking that up. But oh my God, imagine if we're able to do that, right? And some of us are earlier in our careers than others, but we set a pathway to continue to have those conversations. We be diligent about it. And we start engaging the young people in these conversations. What could this mean for a community like ours? Who would be attracted here? How could growth happen? You know, what could this do for our economic well-being, right? When we are viewed as a community that is inclusive, that is willing to think about disparities, especially a community that's been so plagued by poverty. Right, right. Right. And so that's what I get to think about every day, Bill. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's big work. That's important work. And thank you so much for doing that in our community, Dr. Rogers. As you shared earlier, I mean, it's roughly half of our population affected by this topic. What a shame if we're not tapping into the talents and gifts of half of our population. Right, especially at the leadership table, but in all aspects of life. Um, yeah, yeah, and I'm, I'm sure it's rewarding work. I'm sure it's also quite challenging work. Uh, tell me about some of your uh, leadership advice around your resiliency, your agility. I have to imagine those are incredibly important for you to be agile and resilient in this time. What, what are you doing for your leadership in that space? You know, what I've been doing, I've been bringing good people in. Oh, I've been cool. connecting, reconnecting um, mm. with the folks that believe in this work. I've, I'm so thankful for my colleagues at Center State, but also my friends in the community because we are supporting one another. This is not easy. You know, doing this work from the perspective of doing it at Center State, let's just be honest, a very, what seems to be um, white or majority led organization, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's not easy, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, one, because folks are looking at us like, are you guys serious? Like, mm-hmm. Johanna, are they really serious? There's a, there's a, a, a presence of, of, of distrust that exists around spaces that have been historically majority white. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's just be honest about that, right? Like, absolutely. If, if, if a space has been majority white for a long period of time and no one ever noticed, right, right, right. Like, we have to bring those things into question. And so, one of the things that brings me great satisfaction, because I'm an action-oriented person, I wouldn't be doing this work if it was just for fluff, mm-hmm. right? Like, I'm I'm serious about it. You want to see results. I want to see results, and so. I'm not just doing this externally with communities, I'm also doing it internally, right? And it didn't just start this year with, you know, everything that has happened over the course of the last seven months. It had started before that, but I wouldn't be doing it here if, you know, Rob and the team weren't serious about, we know we have work to do and we need to dig in. So, you know, part of my role is externally facing, but also I have a great team that's helping me work internally and us deploying 
uh, strategies and initiatives to, for us to really think about what's happening within our organization and how we can also hold ourselves accountable to hitting more targets, thinking about how we can be intentional about looking at racial equity internally as well. Some of our work in working with Dominic Robinson and the economic inclusion team with the J.P. Morgan Chase funding to diversify tech is a part of it. I'm going to be working with the business development team. I mean, across the organization, we're going to be doing that work as well. And I think that at this time, knowing that what I'm doing, I'm being held accountable for impact and I want to be led and lead with the thought of impact being an outcome of what I'm doing every day. In a moment like this, as an African-American woman, that's one of the most comforting things that I can do, but also reconnecting with my network is comforting and educating myself, reading more, sure, rereading <laughs> more, talking to friends about what they're reading. This is a time and space and place where we as a community, I won't say that everybody, I think those who have the privilege enough right now to be working from home mm-hmm. and managing kids and all of that, it's a lot for us. But this is also, it's a disruption to normalized American life. This isn't a rosy time for everybody. So I don't want to be disillusioned about that, right? There's some really different homes that are just in dire situations. But for those of us that are doing okay, We have to see the blessing and the time that we're being given with our kids, with our loved ones. And one of the things I was doing with my son, we had a bag of questions. Here's my bag of questions. And every day he wrote down 14 and like I wrote down 14. And each day we pick one out of the bag and answer it in a journal together and then talk about our answers. And you know, I asked all these like deep philosophical questions. He was like, what were you scared of as a kid? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Like, what do you think about Star Wars episode four? Da, 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 da. Right, like, right, 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 right. <laughs> I don't know, like this is a moment. But you know, it's funny because it's given us an opportunity if we take advantage of it to learn in different ways, to slow yeah. down. This is oftentimes what I would want to leave the country for, right? To like just go somewhere else where people aren't spinning at a thousand miles an hour right and we can just have a moment to take it in so i've been doing a lot of that and spending a lot of time in the woods one of my son's questions was if you could experience a day in any time period what and where would you go you know we're going to sentence structure but (laughs) that's beautiful that was his his question so doing stuff like that has been kind of soul touching Absolutely, Dr. Rogers. And they're restorative behaviors and actions for you. Love the idea of connecting with others, renewing your own learning, right? And connecting, connecting at home. What a wonderful example. Dr. Rogers, thank you for the important work you're doing in our community. Thank you for joining us today. Really appreciate your time and your energy. Most of all, thank you so much for the important work you're doing in our community. An honor to know you. Oh, no, Bill. Thank you for inviting me for thinking of me and my work in such a um, wonderful way. I appreciate the opportunity and the time, and please do invite me back.
When oh, absolutely. I know, I know this is uh, the beginning of our dialogue. Yes, uh, yes, this is not the end. Yeah, absolutely. The one thing about this time and place is that I feel like I've gotten to connect with more people in the community because it seems like, you know, Zoom has presented more ways to kind of like get together with different groups of people than absolutely. we have if we were like, you know, in our old real life, right? right. <laughs> yes. And so I'm glad uh, our work has brought us together on this and I look forward to reconnecting very soon. Well, that's mutual. Thank you so much. Thank you. And listen for more segments of Driving Leadership right here on the Get Emergent podcast, where we'll continue the conversations with a new leader every month. And come back for more leadership content with Cindy Massengill and Ralph Simone, where they discuss real leadership challenges in a practical, comprehensive, and relatable format.